I would invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to Proverbs 31, somewhat in the middle of your Bible, but the very end of the book of Proverbs. I'll be focusing today on verses 10 through 31, but I want to read the entire chapter. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. What, O my son, and what, O son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, or your ways to that which destroys kings? It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to drink strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. An excellent wife, who can find? For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night, and she stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, 
but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. This concluding chapter of the book of Proverbs begins by saying they are the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. Now, if you have a concordance and you look up who this King Lemuel is, you'll be taken to Proverbs 31, right where we're at. Uh, this seems to be a nickname that Solomon's mother gave to him. Lemuel means something loosely translated, I think, uh, belonging to God. Of course, um, almost all of the Proverbs that we have recorded for us in the Scriptures are um, from King Solomon, and this is most likely the same. An oracle is um, sometimes translated a burden. It's a heavy saying. The word taught that's used here is more frequently translated chastise, discipline, admonish, warn. This is a heavy saying that his mother gave to him. So when she begins, she says, What, O my son, and what, O son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows, do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. And then she goes on to give examples of what he should and should not do. Verses 10 through 31 seem to be a part of that, but they're set off on their own also. In fact, verses 10 through 31 are an acrostic poem in the Hebrew in which each of the 22 verses begins with one of the successive 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet in order. So you might think of it as a treatise on wise motherhood from A to Z or maybe more literally, from Aleph to Tav in the Hebrew. It begins with the question on many a young man's mind, an excellent wife who can find. This past Tuesday, I gave my youngest daughter in marriage to a young man who was probably asking that question a long time. It remains to be seen, of course, whether she will be an excellent wife, but I can say with great thankfulness to the Lord that I think my new son-in-law did quite well. But not because of me, because Proverbs 19.14 says, House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife, it's from the Lord. The word excellent here has the connotation of being strong. 
It's most often translated with words like army, valiant, or even wealth, all of which are associated with having a strong influence. In fact, it's the same word that's used in verse 29 when it says, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. It's not intended to suggest that all wives and mothers should exhibit every characteristic of this excellent wife immediately or maybe even eventually. Uh, That could produce a lot of discouragement and frustration, perhaps. Rather, just as we become, all of us become more Christ-like gradually in our sanctification, one step at a time, Be encouraged where you are similar to this excellent wife, but also identify a characteristic or two to work on where you should change something. I used to assume that this spoke of the perfect wife, but excellence, in other words, being strongly influential, is attainable. I should know. I'm married to an excellent wife. Also, this poem is not just for wives and mothers. It provides helpful direction for husbands, fathers, single young men, single young women, girls, older women as well. And we'll see that this morning. So because this is an acrostic poem, the topics are not necessarily in some thematic order, so I'll group them into three categories. First, we'll look at her hands, what she does. Secondly, we'll look at her heart, why she does them. Thirdly, we'll look at her heritage, and here I'm talking about the heritage she's building that she passes on. And then fourthly, we'll apply this to all of us. If you need another H there, you can say how to apply this, okay? Um, Okay, so let's look at her hands, what she does. I don't know if you noticed, but there are nine... uh, different activities that this poem highlights. And the word hands is used five times. She's busy. And so first of all, what we see is that she purchases her family's necessities wisely. She purchases her family's necessities wisely. Look at verse 13. She looks for wool And flax. When's the last time you looked for flax? These are materials for making wool and linen clothing. Verse 14 says, She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. In other words, she goes to markets uh, outside the home, purchases what she needs, and then brings them into the home like a merchant ship going and coming back. 
So we begin to see here that she's a good steward. She's purposeful. She's disciplined and hardworking. In today's environment, that might look like uh, bargain hunting for the necessities of food and clothing, right? But secondly, we see that she makes things for her family by hand. Verse 13 says, she works with her hands in delight. It's a pleasure, not a chore. Verse 19 says, she stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. What's that saying? She's using the spinning wheel and, and the tools of uh, fabric making to spin wool and flax and other materials to make the raw materials from which she would then make clothing. With the result that verse 21 says, all her household are clothed with scarlet. Now, what it's referring to here apparently is the color, not the material. That's the color applied to uh, whatever material, uh, whatever fabric is being used. Uh, but it was clearly dyed in this color, and uh, it was more than just getting by. It was also something of beauty. Uh, verse 22 continues, says, saying that she makes coverings for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Again, purple is the color that's applied to the fabric, not the fabric itself. So what do we see here? She's thrifty. She's creative. Uh, she's industrious. But she's not austere. She's, she's cutting corners, but she's not cutting corners. She's wise. Today, that might involve sewing, quilting, knitting, mending, crafts, gardening, canning food, any manner of thing like that, but things that benefit the family. Not that every woman would be proficient in all these things, but there are examples of ways to be industrious to meet the needs of her family. Well, third, we see that she makes more than her family needs and sells the rest at a profit. Look at verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and, applies and supplies belts to the tradesmen. In other words, she's got good business sense. And as an overflow of her work for the family, not competing with her work for the family, but as an overflow of it, there's a surplus from which she can derive some profit. And so today, it's not uncommon for, for women and families to have maybe a cottage industry in the home. Uh, maybe to sell products via eBay or Etsy or Etsy. What is it called? It's Etsy. You can tell I haven't been there, right? 
Fourth, she sacrifices to serve her family. Verse 15 says, she, sac- she rises also while it is still night. And verse 18 says her lamp does not go out at night. We used to say that you're, she's uh, burning the candle on both ends. Not both ends of the candle, both ends of the day. Verse 27 says she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So we see that she works tirelessly for her family. She's disciplined. She's focused. So what would, look, what would that look like today? Well, clearly, proper rest and sleep are important, but not wasting valuable time is also quite important. Uh, maybe you have habits of watching a lot of TV or playing video games or excessively engaging in social media, the internet, and so on. But it brings to mind Ephesians 5.16, which says we are to make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. Well, fifth, we see that she provides food for her family. And verse 15 says she gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. Now, her household here usually means, that word usually means house itself, but here it refers to those living in her home. And it's used four times here in verses 15, 21, and 27. It's basically her family. But it also refers to her maidens, her female servants who also live in the household. And so we see that she manages the preparation and consumption of food for the entire family and the whole household. And by now, I think some of you are probably thinking, aha, I see what's going on here. The reason she can be so productive is she's got an army of maidens who are doing all the grunt work while she does, you know, whatever she wants to do. And lest you be jealous of her, let me suggest that I think in reality she ought to be jealous of you. Because your maidens don't talk back, you only have to plug them in. (laughs) Just think how many maidens you have. You walk into a room, you flip on a switch, and there's light. You go to the kitchen, and you push a button, and there is, let there be heat. You go into your home, and it's automatically heated and cooled to your satisfaction. I love that maiden. (laughs) You have the capability to go wherever you want in a car. The only food she needs is gas, for the most part, right? 
You may have something like this in your pocket or your purse that allows you to speak with anybody in the world or to look up information at your fingertips, anything you'd like to know. It allows you to communicate in lots of different ways. Quite a maiden, that is. You get the picture. She would drool to have your maidens. She would say, what do you do with all your time that you're saving? Widespread use of household appliances and machines didn't happen really widespread until my parents' generation in the early to mid-1900s. And wives and mothers generally weren't in the workforce in great numbers until after World War II. Household appliances enabled that. It freed up women to give them a lot more time to do other things. This wise woman used that extra time to invest in her family. Husbands, you need to ensure that your wife has appropriate tools, not a Mercedes necessarily, but the appropriate tools she needs to make her more productive, efficient, and freed up to invest in your family. Free her up to do what only she can do. Wives, use your maidens wisely to enable you to invest in your family. Children, of course, need to participate in household chores as part of their training. Um, and so they work alongside with the, the maidens, I guess. Okay. The sixth category of things she does is that she invests in assets that will help meet her family's needs. Verse 16 says she considers a field and buys it. And from her earnings, she plants a vineyard. What earnings? Well, apparently the earnings from her sales to merchants in verse 24, and possibly as well some of the produce of the vineyard. But that, that vineyard is not just a hobby. It also serves to uh, meet the, the food and, and drink uh, needs of the family. But the excess, again, would be a source of additional income for the family. Verse 18 says, she senses that her gain is good. The gain here, of course, is from her sales, from the crops and, and, and her handwork. So she skillfully expands the resources of the family. And today, that might look like uh, managing financial investments, uh, working with the produce from gardening, uh, maintaining the home, researching major purchases of tools and other assets, a wide range of things. Seventh, we see that she takes care of herself physically so that she has the ability to fulfill her role well in the family. 
Verse 17 says, she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. This is not a masculine kind of strength, but rather it's just that she doesn't let her body go weak or flabby. Uh, she maintains high energy because her family depends on her. She's a good steward of that resource. And today, the obvious application would be the need for good nutrition, for good exercise, good rest, good balance. Number eight, we see that she helps and gives to the poor. Verse 20 says she extends her hand to the poor and stretches out her hands to the needy. Compare that with the previous verse, which says she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand grasps the spindle. She uses her hands to provide both for her family and for others in need. Not just giving them money, but giving them a helping hand and the products of her hands. So today that might look like various kinds of charity, volunteer work, ministry in the church, compassion for the poor, serving others generally. And then ninth, we see that she teaches and gives wise counsel. Verse 26 says, she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She's wise and she's able to communicate that wisdom in the home. The word teaching here is actually the word Torah, law. And the word kindness is most often translated loving kindness, which has the connotation of devotion and loyalty. So what is she teaching? She's teaching God's law, God's principles, things consistent with God's wisdom. Who is she teaching? Well, the very next verse says she looks well to the ways of her household, her family. She devotedly teaches, trains, and disciples her children and even others. What would that look like today? Same thing. Mothers shape the values and character of their children. Well, that's what she does, her hands, but there's also her heart what she is, why she does what she does. And first we see that her character is valued by others. Verse 10 says that her worth is far above jewels. She's an asset. She's priceless, but she's not for sale. Verse 11 says, teaches us that she's trustworthy. Her, the heart of her husband trusts in her. And that verse and the following verse indicate that she's faithful to her husband, who will have 
no lack of gain, and she does him good, not evil, all the days of her life. So she's trustworthy, she's faithful, indicating that she's submissive with a servant's heart. Verse 13 indicates that she's content. She works with her hands in delight. Her heart is content with her role and her impact. Verse 25 indicates that strength and dignity are her clothing. Dignity here has the connotation of majesty, splendor, an aura of goodness and uprightness. And the strength and dignity are referred to as clothing because when others look at her, they see strength and dignity. That's her clothing. Why is that character what others see? Well, secondly, we see that she has inner strength. Verse 10, as we saw, uh, refers to her as excellent. And that's a word connoting strength like an army. A force to be reckoned with. The same Hebrew word is used in Proverbs 12.4 where it says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. And in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, Boaz tells Ruth, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my, peop for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. It's that same word. The notion of strength is also conveyed through using a different word in verse 25, where it says strength and dignity are her clothing. As well as in verse 17, she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. This is talking not just about physical fitness, but also integrity, conviction, moral firmness, an unshakable belief system. Another aspect of her inner strength is that she is confident. Verse 21 says she's not afraid of the snow for her household. Verse 25, she smiles at the future. That doesn't mean she's, she's proud or, or um, overconfident, but she is confident that she's done well. She's working well. She's trusting in the Lord, but she's done her part as well. So, her character is valued by others, and she has inner strength, but also we see that she is just inherently godly, godly. And we see this in verse 30, where it speaks of what she is not, but also what she is. It says, charm is deceitful. Why is charm deceitful? Well, it's superficial. It's masking the person's true character and maybe the person's true motives. You charm them through it, right? 
It also says beauty is vain. It's empty. No substance to it. It doesn't last. She doesn't rely on her charm and her beauty to influence people. Rather, it says, a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Her motive and her desire is to please God. That's what drives her. She's not a man pleaser, but rather a God pleaser. And in that, she's an example for all of us. Well, we looked at what she does, her hands, and what she is, speaking of her heart. Let's now look at her heritage, the, the heritage that she creates or passes on. What legacy does she create? First of all, let's look at her husband. Verse 23 says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The gates, of course, were the city gate where civic leaders would govern the community, make decisions, and so on. And so it appears that he's a leader in the community from which we can understand that when she fulfills her role, she enables him to fulfill his role. Indeed, in keeping with God's design from the very beginning of creation, she is a helper suitable for him, just as Eve was for Adam in Genesis 2.20. Then in verses 28 and 29, it says, Her husband also blesses her, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. He recognizes and expresses his appreciation for hard work, the quality of that work, and how that advances him and their family. What would that look like today? Well, the same thing. When both husbands and wives fulfill their roles in the family, everyone's blessed. Husbands, when is the last time you praised and encouraged your wife? Or does it happen once a year on Mother's Day? Well, this poem also speaks of the impact on her children. Verse 28 says, Her children rise up and bless her. They too recognize that they are beneficiaries of her sacrifice, her skill, her care, her instruction, her discipline even, and her wisdom. Children, when is the last time you praised your mother? Or perhaps more importantly, parents, do your children have any reason to rise up and bless you, or can they not wait to leave? Thirdly, we see that this pays dividends in her life as well, her reward. Verse 30 says, she shall be praised. 
This goes even beyond the praise she receives from her husband and children. Others recognize it as well. Verse 31 says, give her the products of her hands. What are the products of her hands? Well, it refers to the fruit of her labors, certainly. Uh, A godly family, an appreciative husband and children, influence in the community, and influence in multiple generations after her. She also receives the benefit of that investment, joy, fulfillment, provision, and the love and devotion of her family. Verse 31 says, let her works praise her in the gates. Which of her works will praise her publicly? What she makes with her hands? Probably. What she does for others? Absolutely. But mostly, her children, who rise to positions of responsibility and influence in the community, raised on the strong foundation that their mother built for them, they are an ongoing testimony to her long-term labors. Reminds me of Psalm 127. Verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So for those of us here today, you need to take the long-term view of your parenting responsibility. Don't settle for what is expedient here and now. Like any investment, your eyes need to be on the return that will come to you and others many, many years from now. Although God is gracious that he provides encouragements and signs of encouragement progress along the way. Well, how can we, fourthly, apply all this to our lives? First, obviously for women, wives, and mothers, the challenge is to be excellent, to be a strong force to be reckoned with for your family. Avoid the extremes of either laziness or zeal for the wrong priorities. But what it really comes down to is the need to fear the Lord. That involves humility and righteousness. Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes, humility, fear the Lord and turn away from evil righteousness. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate, says the Lord. 
Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. The lesson to us then is to humble yourself before God in your heart. Do what pleases God rather than what he hates. Righteousness is what he loves. Invest in your husband and children for eternity. Build a godly heritage. And don't be fooled by the worldly values or empty promises of feminists who would liberate you from what God has designed for your fulfillment and for his glory. I wonder how many women have achieved success in the working world, but have regretted the toll that has taken on their marriage, on their children, and on their ministry to others. I think it's a large number. How many women have invested their lives in their family? but have regretted the toll that has taken on the career they could have otherwise had? Probably not many. The rewards of building a strong family far outweigh any foregone benefits of a career outside the home. You're not going to hear that out there in the world. But that's what God is telling us about his design for the family. To young single women and girls, the lesson would be, again, fear the Lord, not your peers, not the worldly values you're being bombarded with. Don't be career-minded if you hope to be a wife and a mother. Resist the temptation to enter into a career that's incompatible with the biblical role of a wife and mother. So that if God places you in that role, you can excel at it. And I got news for you. The kind of godly man you want to marry will be far more attracted to your heart commitment and fear of the Lord than to your impressive career. However, it is true that some jobs could be a great preparation for your later responsibilities as a wife and mother. For husbands and fathers, I hope you didn't check out, don't force your wife to work outside the home. It's fine for her to supplement the family income, and there may be needs for uh, temporary situations, and she can work from the home like this, this woman did, um, but only if it doesn't conflict with her primary responsibility to nurture your family. So dads, keep your expenses down and your income up, your income. 
if you have to move to a more uh, an area with a lower cost of living, do it. It's far better than sacrificing your wife and children on the altar of your unrealistic financial dreams. Second, dads, prepare your daughters to be excellent wives and mothers. They should be highly educated and trained, but don't push them or even let our culture pull them into careers that are incompatible with that role. Don't urge them to become the son you never had. You young single men, you're probably the ones who are saying, an excellent wife who can find, right? Well, if you're looking for God's provision for a wife, the characteristic on the top of your list should be, does she fear the Lord? Does she trust him, obey him, love him, and serve him? Anything else is secondary. But perhaps more importantly, you ought to be asking yourself, am I the kind of man who deserves a woman like that? If not, get your own house in order first. Are you able to match her fear of the Lord and lead her in her growth in Christ? Well, if I left anybody out, anyone who has a wife or a mother, praise her, encourage her, cooperate with her, be sensitive to her needs, not just on Mother's Day, and don't take her for granted. Now, I know that there may be some here today or listening to this message who have no clue what it means to fear the Lord. I'd like to invite you to consider that none of us in and of ourselves can fear the Lord. God, by his grace, stepped into time and space in the form of Jesus Christ, took on human flesh, and in addition to living a perfect life, he gave himself up, shedding his blood on the cross to pay for our sins. But after he died... On the third day, he rose from the dead, proving he had defeated both sin and death. He appeared to many people before he ascended into heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. If you have not trusted Christ as your own Savior and submitted to him as your Lord and Master, it's no wonder you have no clue what it means to fear the Lord. 
But I invite you to do that, to submit to him now. He is our only master and Lord. And it's as both husbands and wives, fathers and mothers and children submit to him that we can live the way he wanted us to live. A life that isn't going to be free in this world of, of uh, challenges, but it's a life of definite certainty of our destination. Eternity with him forever. Proverbs 31 ends by saying, her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, he, and he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that the family is your design. Motherhood is your design. Help us to live according to your design and to cooperate with your, your good for us that you have in store for us as we fulfill our roles in the family and apply your wisdom as we walk in fear of the Lord, a fear of you, indicating that we love you. We submit to you gladly because indeed, not only are you merciful, but you're also gracious, giving us eternal life in Christ that we don't deserve. Father, I pray that we would Take your design to heart, not just today, but going forward every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.